If we're talking about fair maps, who are we talking about being fair to? If we're talking about creating opportunity, opportunity for who? And make sure that this spec, make sure this whole process is viewed through the process of the, uh, uh, or the paradigm of the Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and what the purpose of it is. So, um, and that's, for me, that's what I'm going to be focused on. Welcome in, kids. Another uh, fantastic week. Your favorite political podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. How are you, David? Man, I'm doing uh, well, as well as we can do in a state that has such uh, complicated political problems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, complicated political problems is, yeah. is indeed a... Uh, is indeed, you know, it's a very eloquent way to to put what we've got going on. Uh, you know, the other way would be we've got a shit show on our hands, um, uh, from top to bottom. Uh, yeah. You know, and and this is a, a, I'm saying that after having just written a column a week or so back talking about how good the legislative session was uh, compared yeah. to how bad it could have been in places. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess maybe uh, this week we'll say that the the complicated political problems are mostly mostly uh, confined to one particular party in this state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, we recorded a day early uh, last week. And so we missed, uh, towards the end of the week, we missed kind of uh, some big to-doings. Um, not that we would have been there on, you know, for, for some of this stuff anyways, but we missed some big to-doings uh, amongst the Alabama Democratic Party and some more infighting. Um, and, you know, allegations of, of racism and, uh, uh, you know, so let me, I guess let me set the, the, the thing in case people how, how you could not know and, and stumble onto this podcast. I don't know, but let me, right. so, so basically Randy Kelly, the chair of the, of the party at this point, uh, said, uh, called Doug Jones in a letter a racist. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and called some other people racist as well because they wanted to implement new bylaws in 2019 that uh, provided more minority caucuses uh, for LGBTQ plus uh, youth, uh, Hispanic, uh, a- uh, Asian Pacific Islanders, uh, and Native Americans, and wanted to give them equal, equal voting uh, it, within the uh, executive committee of the party uh, to give them an equal share and equal voice. And uh, by doing so, uh, the, the Alabama Democratic Conference, of which Randy Kelly is a part and which uh, Joe Reed is the uh, chairman, uh, started screaming that this is diluting the black vote in the party. It's illegal. We've got a federal consent decree that uh, says you can't do this. Uh, then the proponents of those 2019 bylaws fired back and said, actually, it says we can't dilute the power of the black vote. And by doing what we're doing, we're not doing this because among those LGBTQ folks, those youth, and uh, there there are many black people uh, who are part of that, those groups. And uh, we're actually expanding the voting power of, of black folks in the party. We're just not necessarily doing it within the confines of the Alabama Democratic Conference. Um, and so there was a lot of fighting back and forth in court and the courts mostly agreed with the proponents of the new bylaws, the 2019 bylaws, I should say. And, uh, then lo and behold, at, a at, at a meeting last year, uh, Joe Reed gets his guy, Randy Kelly, 
reelected as or are elected as chairman of the party, takes back over. And one of their first orders of business is to do away with those 2019 bylaws, uh, rewrite the whole the whole bylaws all over again, uh, eliminate the youth, the LGBTQ, the, Hawaii, uh, the Hispanic and the Native American conferences uh, and uh, restore more power to the ADC, to Joe Reed, uh, to handpick a lot of members for those groups, uh, reduce them down to committees, and to uh, basically make sure that the power again rests with Joe Reed or whoever is in charge of the ADC uh, in the years to come. And so now we've got a challenge. The Democratic National Committee, who helped write those 2019 bylaws and done an investigation into what was going on then and said the original bylaws went, were not in accordance with the uh, principles of the National Party, um, they are now going to investigate again. And there were some very harsh words uh, for the party uh, at, a, at a hearing in D.C. Uh, Friday and Saturday of last week. And uh, uh, here we go again, I guess. That's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a number of problems here. First, let me stipulate that as the sole black person on this podcast, I absolutely. What? <laughs> oh, you didn't realize that I you did not realize black? you were black. Yeah, oh, I thought you were saying you didn't realize you weren't black. Oh, OK. Well, maybe, right. that, maybe that is true as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I have a vested interest in in ensuring as a commentator and an opinion writer, I have a vested interest in assuring that that black people in the state of Alabama have a voice, get their just due in the political process, and are treated equally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let, let's stipulate that. Now, having said that, I, I have been lost by the logic here of of my friend uh, Reverend Doctor Kelly, uh, on a couple of uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the very fact that Doctor Kelly was elected, it seems to me, actually affirms the uh, contention of the folks on the other side that the black vote was not diluted. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's not to suggest that. Only black people voted for Reverend Dr. Kelly. I'm sure that that there were people of other races and ethnicities that voted for him, too. But it would seem to me that if you're contending that uh, the reconstruction of things would have was 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 racist because it prevented black people from having a voice. Well, then how did you get a black chair? Yeah. Second. Yeah. Yeah, Chris England was also black. Yeah, yeah, Chris England was also black. But I'm saying in particular after, I guess and you're right. Chris England was also black. But, but, but the, um, but, but again, I think specifically I'm honing in on Kelly because yeah. he's the one making this contention. But you're absolutely right. Chris England was also black. So that's that's point number one. Point number two is, I have yet to hear. A, a cogent rebuttal to the contention that the number of black people overall on the Democratic uh, Executive Committee, the State Democratic Executive Committee, um, did not decline, but actually rose. Mm-hmm. I've yet to hear a cogent argument against that. Now, granted, they may have been black people who also fit into other categories, yes. like LGBTQ or 
people with disabilities or what have you. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they were, are black people. And if your contention is that the black vote is being diluted, how's that a dilution of the black vote? If you got more black people on than you even had before, right. the fact that they fit multiple categories is irrelevant. I, I so I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't get the argument. It seems to me like the real argument, which is what I think many people suspect, the real argument is they're not black people who are aligned with ADP. I'm sorry, with ADC. And if that is the actual, if that in fact is the real argument and that's the real concern, well, then that brings up some other concerns, right? Right. Because it's not supposed to be a truly democratic process, at least in my mind, would not concentrate the power with a particular caucus within mm -hmm within the Democratic Party. Um, you know, and, and the bylaws certainly don't call for that. Right. Um, and, and it would seem to me that that would be antithetical to the whole process. So, again, I'm sort of at a loss here as to, as to what's really going on other than this, is, this was an attempt to, for, the, for the ADC to consolidate power. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't... Um, you know, can I, I can I just say one other thing? Oh, absolutely, man! Your show, you can say whatever you want to. You know, well, I know you were about to you were about to go in, so I, I just but this other thought occurs to me. I I don't think I don't think that um, it is. I, I think that what's going on here is it's this is an unspoken thing. But I think what's going on here is I think the the sentiment of of Reverend Dr. Kelly and of uh, and of Mr. Reed Joe Reed is that they're they are the guardians. They are the ones who the, the they and and the ADC are the only ones who can truly protect the rights of black people. Mm -hmm. They are the guardians of the gate. They are mm -hmm. the ones standing between equity and inequity. Mm -hmm. And and I understand from a historic standpoint how one may think that. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that it's an accurate representation of where we are today. Right. You know, you know, all black people, you know, as, as much as we revere the legacy of the NAACP, the SCLC, the, the ADC, and other groups that have historically stood for black people in the state of Alabama, you know, often, you know, uh, with, you know, at great risk to themselves as groups and uh, to to the individual people and leaders. Yes. In fact, at one point in time, the NAACP was literally banned in the state of Alabama. You, yes, absolutely. You know? yeah. Yeah. So so I, I you know we we revere their legacy, but I guess what I want to say finally, Josh, is one does not have to be a member or even a supporter necessarily mm -hmm. 
of the ADC or the NAACP or the SELC to be black and to have the interest of black people at heart. And so again, this, this, I, I think the mindset, I believe it's, I believe that, that there are many, that, that there are some considerations here that are very valid, but mm-hmm. I think ultimately what they're doing undermines the overall objective. And, and it certainly has once again placed the Alabama Democratic, Democratic Party in a very precarious position. Yeah, I think all of what you said is, is spot on. Um, I would say, you know, I, and I have said before, I understand the hesitancy uh, and and even the anger uh, in a lot of ways that come from uh, the folks who are a member of the ADC uh, who for decades and decades fought tooth and nail against a very discriminatory, outwardly racist uh, setup uh, to achieve power in that party. They went through the wars, the bloody, deadly wars uh, to to gain that power. And so I understand the hesitancy that they have to relinquish any of that power for which they fought so hard for. I get it. I do. I do. And 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 make no mistake about it here. OK, right or wrong. That's what's being asked of them to do. OK, they, they are being asked to give up uh, what they have enjoyed for the last several years. Uh, in terms of controlling of the party by virtue of uh, the consent decree and the and the ADC's power within the Alabama uh, Democratic Party. Okay, so so there when you introduce these groups as right as it is. Okay, let me let me say I'm not making an excuse for Joe Reed and his folks. Okay, I'm just saying that as as right as it is, what's taking place, they are still being asked to give up power that they hold. Okay, that they fought for, that they went through wars to get. So I understand the hesitancy uh, to do that. But, but as was said by, I believe it was Yvette Lewis uh, with the DNC Rules and Bylaws Committee, um, we fought against discrimination and we can't do it to somebody else. And and I, that's what's being done currently with the setup that they want to introduce. Uh, within the ADP and the and the voting power within the party, they are limiting the voting power of minority groups because they don't feel that those minority groups are worthy of that representation. And so when you do that, you are discriminating against those folks, just as the other people were doing towards you. Um, and I, I just and I'll tell you the other thing, too, here is whenever you're you're looking for who's right or wrong. In a, in, a, in a situation like this, um, there are a lot of times some very key moments and things that transpire that that give you an indication of who's kind of doing something a bit nefarious and who is uh, maybe on on the more right side of this. And when you hear the stories of what took place at the at the last uh, meeting in which these bylaws, the new bylaws were put in place. And you hear about the fifty dollar 
you know, basically poll tax or whatever, and that some people were allowed to pay it and other people weren't allowed to pay it. And, uh, and then some people were just told that they could go on in and vote without anybody talking to them about $50, uh, tax. And then, and then you look at the vote, uh, which, you know, was challenged to begin with on the fact that there wasn't a quorum present, uh, that there was, you know, then when they held the actual vote, it sure looked suspiciously like the votes against the bylaws were, uh, had more people stand up than the votes for the bylaws. Um, and, you know, when, when you combine those sorts of things, you know, you look at it from the outside uh, and say something, something in right with that, you know, something, something's wrong. And when you're having to do those things to get to where you want to get to, to your point, to your side, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, you're not doing the right thing. And a matter of fact, a lot of people have said, well, what took place at that last meeting was something that Republicans have been doing to Democrats uh, for, for a long time to try to limit the votes mm-hmm. on things. So voter um, suppression. Yeah, voter suppression. And, uh, you know, I just, man, you know, there is such an opportunity here right now um, in this state uh, because you have, uh, you know, the new maps that are going to have to be drawn. So we're going to, we're probably going to get another district that in which a Democratic candidate has a really, really good shot at this. And I, you know, I just wish that there could be some level of organization at the top of that part. Um, because as it is, as it stands right now, I don't know that anybody's doing any fundraising. I don't know that anybody is going out and recruiting candidates. I don't know that anybody's doing any uh, candidate training. Uh, you know, we're we're a few months away from qualifying for the 2024 election cycle. I mean, it, it, you got to be qualified by November the 10th. Um, and, and if you're not even identifying candidates at this point or, or training them or, or, you know, shooting towards goals, coming up with objectives, coming up with. Uh, with campaign slogans and campaign approaches and uh, targeting different races and, uh, you know, looking to where you can expand the Democratic Party at, at the local level, at the county level, at, you know, wherever. Um, what are you fighting for? Yeah. There's, there's one other thing, and I, I agree with all of that. I think the, uh, the party appears to be, other than engaging in this sort of uh, relitigation of, of um, you know, was it 2019? I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other than that, it doesn't really seem to be doing anything. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that should be a grave concern to all of us who who tend to vote for Democrats. Um, the the other thing I want to raise is uh, before we get out of this segment is the allegation against Doug Jones. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Reverend Dr. Kelly calls uh, former U.S. Senator Doug Jones a racist. Um, first of all, I think I think that ought to be a term really reserved for um, undeniable, indisputable displays of hate. Yeah. All right. And I think I've talked on this podcast before about my my viewpoint that <clears throat> there's a distinction between people who are supremacists mm-hmm. and people who are racists. Yes. Uh, in my mind, the two are not synonymous. 
They're not interchangeable. A person can can believe that white culture and white people are superior and not hate black people as a group or even black individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a person who hates black people and individuals, I think automatically is a supremacist. So let me just say that. And let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that Doug Jones falls into either category. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a racist. And to my knowledge, he's not a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, um, I have had real concerns about Doug and and the way that he has failed to capitalize on uh, <clears throat> the the advantages that the black base of this party has given him. Mm-hmm. I've had real concerns about that, and I'm not going to I'm not going to get into all of that. But I'm going to say that I think he deserves to be very roundly and, and soundly criticized for that. Um, I think he blew um, the opportunity that the 2018 election gave him when uh, black women helped to create uh, the voting majority that got him in office. Yeah, I think he blew that. He didn't cultivate that in my mind. Now, I know some people will dispute me on that, and that's fine. But I'm saying that to my way of thinking, the things that I would have liked to have seen done, I didn't see done. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he didn't do anything, but I'm saying I don't think he did enough, and I don't think he was strategic. And it really bothered me uh, at a very deep level that he wasn't, because to me, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. It, it, It shouldn't have been, you know, rocket science. And so when I didn't see him doing certain things, my thought was, okay, so he's not taking seriously the the potency of this base. The other thing that really irritated me, Josh, was the New York Times piece that ran, uh, it was in in the lead up to the 2018 uh, election, um, in which... Doug, and I want to say Bob Vance and some other uh, leaders were quoted and referenced quite extensively. And in that article, uh, one, of them, one of them said, and I don't remember exactly who, but I kind of, in my mind, I sort of lumped them all together on this as being on the same page with this sentiment. It, it seemed to me that the, the sentiment was that was being expressed by these candidates who were running in 2018, the white candidates, was that was that Alabama could not win a statewide race without a white man being the candidate. Hmm. That really ticked me off. Yeah, that ticked me off. And and it ticks me off to this day because I think it plays into the bigotry and the fears of a lot of people in the white population. And also because I think we have not yet seen that premise proven. Right. So you're just to me, you're just sort of embracing when you when you if you're embracing that sentiment, then you're just embracing an old status quo kind of trope to mm-hmm. me. That's what you're doing. 
And and it and it and I'm not going to lie, it angered me then and it angers me now that that was articulated to the New York Times. Now, again, does that make Doug a racist or somebody else a racist? No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it does. Does it make them misguided? Does it make them short-sighted? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I would like to see, what I would like to see is a party, a Democratic party that embraces uh, equality for all people, all voters, all potential candidates, a party that really steps up. And, you know, we had, we had, you know, we had in this past uh, 2020, uh, let's see, was it 2020? No, this is 2023. Okay, so maybe it was 2022 that I'm thinking of. In 2022, yeah, I think it was 2022, we had, uh, um, we had, a black woman was that 2022 the governor's mm-hmm. race I'm trying to remember now yes, was it that was. or was it 2020 it was 2022 right it was 2022 okay 2022 we had a black woman running for governor we had a black man running for the attorney general mm-hmm. we had I think a black woman running for secretary of state mm-hmm. we had a black man running for U.S. Senate we had another major black uh, we had another black person running for another major office in my mind, in my recollection, I can't remember now who it was, but we had at least four, as I recall, we had at least four black people running for major statewide offices. That should have been an opportunity that was seized upon by the Democratic Party to really cultivate Literally, the tens of thousands of black voters who had not been engaged across the state, they had an opportunity there to really send a message, not just to those black voters and getting them engaged, and not just to other, you know, uh, white Democrats and others who are Democrats, they had an opportunity to send a message to the nation. They could have played that up to the nation as, this is the new Alabama. Mm-hmm. This is what we're offering you, the new Alabama. And Doug Jones should have been at the front of the line in championing that. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. Yeah. And it bothers me that he didn't. But again, laying out all of these criticisms of Doug, does that make him a racist? No. Does it make him a white supremacist? No. No. So I think that's a I think that's a very um, I would say reckless and grossly unfortunate allegation to make, in yeah. my opinion. Well, okay. and, and no, no, you're you're fine. And, and to your points, though, I would say um, that the reason Randy Kelly called him a racist had nothing to do with any of the things that you just raised, uh, and it was it was all tied to these bylaws that you know reduced the power of the ADC and, and Joe Reed. Um, and that's the reason why they were upset with, with Doug Jones, not because he didn't do some of the things that you'd laid out, the, you know, and, and I, feel, I feel like you've made some valid points there because, I, I, you know, I look at it exactly like you did, where um, there was an opportunity, given what took place to get Doug elected, um, that there were, an op- there were opportunities there for, for some 
for some fence mending or some bridge building and fence mending on things. Um, and to, to go around to, uh, the county uh, parties and, and, and say, listen, we, we've got these opportunities. Let's get engaged. Let's do these things. Let's get it. Let's get out here and do it. And I just felt like, you know, I, I understand. I know the pushback from them would, would, would be, listen, we inherited a mess. You know, we had no employees. We had nothing. You know, there was no organization in, in place. There was no structure. And we had to build everything from the ground up uh, to start. And it just we didn't have the, the people there to do it. Uh, but it didn't get done either, you know, and so you, you were in charge when it didn't get done and, um, right. and, That's and right. some things just didn't happen. And I understand that the other side continued to fight against you. Okay. Mm. Uh, but I do feel as though there were conversations that took place in the background in which I think some things could have been mended that would have made this thing a lot smoother and a lot better and would have capitalized on what exactly what you were talking about with, uh, black female voters and, and organizing and, uh, and, and pushing the state forward. Um, but yeah. To call Doug Jones a racist, I mean, just stop it. You know, I mean, you can't just continue to do that because you disagree with somebody. And that's what this that's what it felt like to me was here is a disagreement that we have on on the fundamentals of the party, of the inner workings of this political party. And my counter to you is this thing that's going to get attention. And, and there's no basis really in reality for it. You can disagree with Doug Jones on what he did and how he ran things, and that's all fair game and fine. But to say he's doing it because he wants to keep black people down is, I, I just think that's nonsense. You know, right. I say he doesn't, that's not ever been a thing for Doug Jones. And, you know, and that's, that's all you have to go on is his life and his life work. And if you look at that, that that's a crazy thing to say about the guy. And, yeah. um, you know, I just wish that this worked better. And, and I, yeah, it, we, we've, all, I'll say this too. We've all, we faulted, I think rightfully what you said, uh, we faulted Doug Jones and, and some of the folks that were, that took over in 2019, uh, for some of the missteps and failings, uh, that, that took place, uh, there. I think it's also fair to say, uh, they were also working with some people that had zero interest, it seemed. And, uh, in building those bridges back and in building the party and moving it up either. All right. It wasn't like they were over here saying, uh, oh, I'm, I'm working. Um, you know, we're, we're let's let's just keep these folks out of here. The, don't worry about it. And in the meantime, uh, the, the Joe Reed faction of people were saying, oh, let's go out and build some bridges and, and, and recruit some people. You know, nobody was working towards that. Everybody seemed to be working towards their own end. And that's where we have a problem, I think, now. Uh, so. All right. Uh, we're going to slide out. Uh, we're going to get Chris England in here, Representative Chris England, to talk about some of these issues, maybe, and also reapportionment and and what that looks like, and uh, how we're going to draw this second district up, and uh, what uh, what the likelihood is that we'll be able to do it without a, the court supporting a uh, special master to do it for us. So uh, let's slide out. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. If y'all would do us a favor and uh, go, to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. Well, you never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly uh, 
you know, platforms oh, as well. I, I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just just go and, and rate and review and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're gonna leave a bad one. Don't do don't do that. Just don't, don't, like that. don't leave a bad one. Thank you. Alrighty, welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy, as always. Uh, he's been kind enough to, to join us a few times, and, uh, and always a pleasure to have on. Representative Chris England, um, especially now, because it's uh, there are a lot of things that you can say. I don't think anybody has a better grasp uh, on this particular subject than Chris England. Uh, but one of those is uh, reapportionment and what's what's been going on with our uh, drawing of maps and this whole process. And um, there, there, I think there are a couple of other things we, we want to ask you about, but let's start with the big one because that's that's coming up, and that uh, you know the U.S. Supreme Court uh, forced our hand to come back and and redraw these maps, which we all knew were discriminatory uh, when they when they plopped out in 2020, and um, I, I think it was it surprised a lot of people that this Supreme Court particularly did this, uh, but I guess so. Kind of, if you wouldn't mind, uh, tell us where we are in the process right now and, and where we're going to be, uh, hopefully, in a month. Um, first, thanks for having me. You know, that's one of my favorite things to do is hang out with y'all because um, so it's good to have a good, a good conversation with smart folks. Um, oh, well, thank you. Um, but uh, we are uh, trying to remember. I've been in the legislation since 2006. And I think this will be the second time uh, out of my of, of my tenure where a court has forced us to do something with our maps. Um, you know, we sued years ago and won. I'm not exactly sure what we won years ago, but we won something. Um, and then this time around, um, somehow, although black folks and uh, other minorities move all over the state, and are, are, are live in different places, um, the map consistently looks like it did 20-some-odd years ago. Yeah. Um, and so lawsuit came about because, you know, obviously um, it was attempting to dilute the power of uh, Black folks and, and other minorities voting to elect someone of their choice. Um, went through the lower courts, lower courts, um, found an overwhelming amount of evidence that um, Alabama's maps were um, in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And, and if you go back and read that decision, it is, I mean, it is chock full of evidence. Um, the case that they made at the level was, uh, had a lot of merit and it had a lot of evidence. Um, but of course, you know, with all the, with the things that the Supreme Court has done up until this point, uh, Roe versus Wade and many other, um, different um, monumental cases being overturned, uh, we also expected that this was going to be the final straw um, that got completely eliminated the Voting Rights Act. When we've already lost Section 5. We thought we were about to lose Section 2. And lo and behold, the Supreme Court comes back 5-4 in support of the plaintiffs in that case, uh, saying that the maps did, in fact, violate Section 2. So the process for the congressional maps begins anew. Um, we've got dates set uh, where the congressional reapportionment or the reapportionment committee will begin meeting. Um, there's a deadline, I think it's July the 7th, where 
uh, map, anybody who wants to submit a potential or proposed map has to do so uh, by then. Uh, the meeting will, the reapportionment committee will meet again uh, the next week. And then I, I feel pretty confident saying that we're going to go into special session on July 17th. And should be done by the 21st because the court has told us that we have to have this work done by July 20, 21st. Um, if it doesn't, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, come up with a map that complies with the uh, Voting Rights Act, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, uh, the likelihood is in the court will appoint a special master and draw the map themselves. And I think they've also made that pretty clear. And then there's a hearing scheduled for October, uh, not October, but August 14th. Um, and I think that will probably be uh, a hearing status, next steps, and then if the court provide any other answers necessary if Alabama's were incapable of creating a map. So um, in, in essence, we're going back in the session to go through that redistricting process again to see if uh, it's even possible for us to agree on anything and create a map that will give us um, two, two districts that could potentially elect. Um, I mean, and, and it's, this is a twofold thing here because in this process, people are melting Democrat with the Voting Rights Act and electing black, uh, a potential another uh, minority to the to Congress. Um, but the Voting Rights Act doesn't talk about Democrat. It talks about the ability for uh, black folks, equal representation, their votes, our, our votes to count and have an opportunity to elect our candidate of choice. And I think the process should bear that out, meaning uh, we create reliable districts that have, or based on historical uh, performance, can produce a candidate of our choice. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we're getting ready to do, or trying to do at least. Yeah, you, you touched on my, my next question, which was uh, the likelihood of, of whether or not y'all are going to be able to agree on these maps. And, um, you know, in, in conversations with your colleagues, particularly those on the other side of the aisle, do you, do you feel like y'all can find some common ground on this and, and move this process forward without there being a special master appointed? Um, do you want my optimistic answer, political answer, or how I feel? How you feel? Um, optimistically, I would hope so. Politically, I doubt it. Realistically, no. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, this is a hard choice. I mean, you know, just as a casual observer, I, I, I do serve on the committee as a as an aside. I've been appointed to serve on the congressional redistricting or apportionment committee. Um, but if I'm just a casual observer. I, I would imagine it would be hard for my colleagues across the aisle to have to draw maps to determine which current member may not return. I think that's a hard choice. Uh, on our side, you know, there might be some of us that believe that the best outcome for us would be for a special master to draw the maps. Um, and we'd have a very, we, we couldn't come to a consensus on anything. Um, and again, I think that's going to be difficult because the Supreme Court decision didn't necessarily provide directions. It just said the, the current map violated the Voting Rights Act. Now, there were some proposals that were put forth at the lower court level that had some numbers in it. But, I mean, we didn't get there because we agreed on them. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, 
we were close before the Supreme Court stepped in and stayed the decision. We were close at that point to having a special master draw the maps. <clears throat> they were already talking about who would you be okay with doing it. So um, I'm not I'm not optimistic, but I do think I do think we'll have an honest effort. Meaning we're going to go through the process. There's going to be a bunch of maps proposed, um, and I do think we'll have an honest debate, earnest debate about um, what those maps will look like. So. Um, but to, to answer your question, I, I, I doubt it. It's going to be it's going to be real hard to get there. Hmm. So uh, this past um, Saturday evening, Chris, um, uh, Dr. Joe Reed came to Huntsville and he presented uh, a map. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, I've got, I've actually got the breakdown, the population breakdown here. And from a population standpoint, uh, the the congressional districts end up with relatively the same number of voters, right around 700,017 or so, give or take. But all, all of them, I think, are right around, uh, yeah, all of them are 700,017. Total yeah. voters, two districts that are uh, predominantly black. One district is uh, is the district that Terry Sewell currently uh, is in, and the other district would be, I guess, a I guess a sort of a new district, and this would be district. Um, this would be district. Let me double check. I think it's district two. I think is, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, the one that runs down through the wire grass and pulls up into Montgomery. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, but I'm sorry, District One. District one. It's, yeah. it's District uh, One, yeah. and it um, <clears throat> it does run through the wire grass, like Josh said, and it and it covers Montgomery, but it also dips down into Mobile, kind of scoops up Mobile out of that. Have you seen that map? Uh, oh yeah, uh, Doctor Rita sent. Um, sent that map and those numbers to um, everybody. Um, okay. And I think it's going to be, you know, one of the, I think this might be, the, or not might be, but this will be the plan that he submits. Um, and interestingly enough, um, you know, if you're approaching this, you're, you're trying to figure out where the largest population of concentrate or concentrated population of, of African Americans are to build two districts out where there's a, a good enough threshold where you know we're electing a candidate of choice, but also it's you can count on it to reproduce those same results for years to come, right? So um that means you're trying to get to a certain threshold. And for him and those numbers that you mentioned to me, that's a a great starting point um, because I think oftentimes when we're doing redistricting, people often confuse uh, like the actual number of people in the district with the actual voting age population. And then they don't go back and look at the kind of nuts and bolts to see how that district has performed. If you were to put it together and, and, and see how it would perform over, over time. So like, you know, you could put, I could draw you a district, for example, with a whole bunch of black folks in it, but it likely would end up electing a Republican. Mm. 
Because, you know, again, it's all about performance, turnout, how it's done historically and so forth. So I do think that the one that the numbers that he presented, the map that he presented is a good starting point. Um, but I think you're going to see a bunch of um, because, you know, everybody's got ideas uh, about how to make this work. But the way that map looks, though, um, you're going some uh, I, I believe it's going to be Barry Moore. It's going to have a real hard time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a shame. Real shame. <laughs> I mean, it is. We're going to have a really hard time navigating that district. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, but if I'm a Republican and I'm, I'm trying to make this process work, uh, it's going to be difficult to draw maps, in my opinion, that allow Birmingham and the Black Belt to still remain in the same district. Mm. Interesting. So, I think you'll probably see some proposals that separate Birmingham proper, Jefferson County, and the Black Belt and make try to make districts that way. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So let me ask you, well, that actually opens up a whole nother line of questions, but for now, let me just stick with this uh, Mobile-Montgomery combination because uh, I'll tell you, there was a, a little conversation uh, toward the end of the meeting between a few folks. And there was a certain level of cynicism that was expressed about that combination um, because the impression was that uh, Mr. Reed, had, Dr. Reed, had basically drawn a district or created a district that would create a good opportunity for his son, Stephen, to run. What? Get out. No way. And now that 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 that's a you know that may be a cynical point of view, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a realist point of view. What what's your take on that? Um, it's politics. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's politics. Um, and I you know I don't I'm not going to cast any aspersions on anybody and, and make any accusations about that uh, about you know trying to draw a map that's favorable to somebody or somebody else. You know. But I guarantee you there are going to be people involved in this process who are thinking about uh, themselves first and the map second. So, um, and to me, if you draw Mobile and Montgomery in the same district and then spread it all across from from, from Mississippi to Georgia, um, I don't, I'm just, I have a very difficult time seeing how you draw that map to anybody's advantage because it's still got to work its way way up north and you're still going to have to pull Tuscaloosa in there and you're going to have a whole swath of the black belt that um, it's going to be very hard to draw it in a way that just pr- creates a significant advantage for anybody that's right. And I think there's another important part of this to remember. In Alabama, you don't necessarily have to live in the district that you run for. So, you could live technically outside of that second that, that new district was created and still run for it. So, so I think it's a, a, a nice wrinkle because if you remember back in the day, uh, when that seventh congressional district was first formed, everybody ran for it, and I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see that again. Hmm. Everybody ran. Okay, people from across the state, all over the place. Yeah, because it's a new district, it's new opportunities, and the more people who run in it, uh, it creates opportunities for other people to win. 
It's just what it is. So um, it's going to, I think it'll be a crowded field. And I, like I said, I don't, I, it's, I feel like it'd be very difficult to draw a map that complies with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and draw it in a way that creates an advantage, a significant advantage for anybody that wants to run. Now, I know you can create a significant disadvantage for certain people who want to run by the way you want to, by the way you draw it. But I think it's going to be very difficult to create a significant advantage for any individual candidate just based upon how the districts are going to look. I think what he's saying is he's going to run for that seat. That's, that's not what I said. <laughs> oh, maybe I misheard that. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, we, no, I, we, can, we could do way, way worse. Let me just. Say. But didn't uh, didn't didn't Roy Johnson float his name in a column? Yeah. I thought he yeah. did. Yeah, he did. Uh, he gave me two to one odds on if I'm gonna run or not. He didn't talk. He didn't talk to me first. I tell you that. But I, I will say I'm not, I'm not saying yay or nay. You know, obviously right. you, you you can't say you know I can't say never to anything. So sure, right. sure, sure. You know, I, I want to kind of not really switching gears, really, but uh, there has been a lot of talk after the things that have gone on with the, with the party, the Democratic Party over the course of the last few weeks and the, you know, the new challenges and the DNC now going to get involved and, and do another investigation. Um, one of the, I think one of the major points that a lot of people have raised in that whole deal is, couldn't we pick a better time to do this? We've got this thing going on with reapportionment. And now we're all infighting. We're not on the same page. Um, do, you, do you see that being an actual problem for, for this process? Uh, that the Democrats are at, the, at that level, you know, having having the same fights that we've been having for the last few years. <sighs> yes, yes, and no. Um, obviously, uh, you would want everybody singing from the same sheet of music in a situation like this. Um, but there are so many there are so many interests involved, including national interests that are in, that are assisting. Uh, many people in this process, but I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact other than, you know, just being more or less of a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I hope not. I don't think, I, honestly, I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, this will probably sound terrible, but uh, there comes a point where dysfunction makes you so ineffective that it doesn't matter. Ooh. <laughs> right. I understand. Um, wow. Okay. And, and well, then to to kind of pick up on that a little bit, though, uh, you you were you know at the at the head of this thing for for a couple of years. Um, I, what what do you think happened uh, in those years? What what do you think could have been done, was done, should have been done uh, to to have made it better? Um. So. When we, when I took office, um, it was right in the middle of a uh, presidential primary. So for the first week that we walked in the door, we were fielding phone calls and from national candidates from the very beginning. It was, it was, it was we were drinking water from a fire hose. Um, everybody that worked in that office that night, that week up at the closing, qualified, they were all volunteers. So. I don't really, I don't, to this day, I don't, I and then also we had all sorts of things going on in the office that day, that night, all the way up to the last day. 
guns and all sorts of stuff going on in that office that to this day, I don't know how we even completed the work, but we did. We managed to complete the work. Um, and then we immediately turned around and we ran into a pandemic that shut everything down. We actually had to navigate a convention that didn't, that went, was completely virtual. Um, but we still had to manage to come up with a, de a delegation, conduct elections, um, and then run a, run a, try to help run a, a, a Doug Jones's um, re-election campaign for Senate. Um, so, I mean, it was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, still had conflict going on from every angle. Um, so, to be honest with you, um, I think what probably I should have done better was have as many, try to conduct as many meetings as I could. Um, many people thought we weren't meeting because I didn't want to have meetings, but for a whole year and a half, um, we had the option of putting a whole bunch of people at risk with COVID or trying to meet virtually in a state that doesn't even have uh, broadband in certain areas. Um, and that's, I'd watched Michigan and other states who tried to conduct virtual conventions and meetings, and it was an absolute mess. So, um, so I think one of the things that I regret the most is not meeting more. Um, but I do, uh, I think for the most of the time we were there, I really all the time, we had an outstanding staff, people who worked really, really hard, um, who did Every day, their whole goal was to try to do things to make the Democratic Party grow, but just to also kind of help people and get our brand out there uh, and reestablish some of the relationships that had been broken. Um, I think we did a good job at that. Uh, we reestablished a relationship with labor. Um, we actually grew the size of our youth investment in, in, in the party. Um, we certainly had. Uh, a, a media presence, a social media presence. We fundraised. Um, we did all the things that we thought we could do in that two-year, the two-year span, in order to um, try to build and grow the party. Um, but you know, I, I don't talk about this much. Um, yeah. But um, the thing is. We were building off of an election that Doug Jones won that he probably shouldn't have. Um, and the expectations that were created after that were probably unrealistic. And uh, we did increase incrementally voter turnout. We had 920,000 people vote in that election, but over a million two, million three voted Republican. Um, but I'm proud of the fact that we were very aggressive in early voting. We were very aggressive in um, in turn, trying to increase turnout and uh, trying to navigate through COVID, people trying to stay away from each other in that process was a very difficult thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but ultimately, uh, though, I do think that I left a lot of not, me personally, and because the folks that work for the party, you know, from Wade to Devin, I mean, I, I could go on, uh, Jessica, many others, they did an outstanding job. And for me, I think most of them, again, mostly my failure in that was not communicating what we were doing, how we were doing it, and not meeting more. Um, I, I don't want to relitigate 
that era anymore because we've already, uh, Josh and I have done plenty of that already in this show. But I, I will say, uh, I think you, you make a great point about unrealistic expectations because we all know that, um, you know, Doug only won for two reasons. The main reason he won, in my opinion, was that Richard Shelby gave his blessing to Republicans to vote for somebody else other than Roy Moore. And that really, that really uh, was a blow, a real blow to Moore's uh, vote count. And then the other reason was uh, very important and arguably equally important um, was that black women turned out in droves. Oh, yeah. And so that's that was the other thing. Well, David, when you say that, I think Mm -hmm. it's 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 important to note. Uh, do you remember what the vote count totals were for the, the, the Doug Jones Roy Moore race? I want to say that the now this, I was I was on TV that night, and I want to say that the difference that I saw on screen was something like uh, about twenty three thousand votes or something. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? How, do you remember how many folks walked in there and just wrote a name down, didn't, and didn't vote for either one? It was very close to. Well, I know, I know that the ones who didn't vote for more was pretty close to that number. I remember 20, that. There's a, a little over 20,000. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you had two years prior, about 1.2 million people voted for Trump. And two years later in a special election, 600,000 Republicans voted for Roy Moore. That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially in an election like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I think Shelby's blessing probably is, I say blessing, but Shelby saying, I, in good conscience, I can't vote for yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, drop that. Probably a lot of people stayed at home, but you you also had 20,000 people who went to the polls and voted Mickey Mouse yeah. or, or didn't, I mean, voted for Nick Saban or somebody. Yeah. yeah. And those things, those things made it, that, those things made a substantial difference. Doug won. But the expectations came along with it too. And sure. I, um, wanted, I wanted to just yeah. ask you one one thing uh, about something you said earlier. Guns. Yeah, you don't Can remember you that story. That? You don't remember that story about the, the last few days in the, in the Democratic headquarters where there were some. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to speak ill of anybody who's no longer here with us, but just to put it bluntly, um, there were threats thrown and trying to keep people out of the office. And there was a, a gun threat made that night. Yeah. Somebody, I I, that. I, yeah, okay. it was, I, I mean, that. it was, it was something else. Hmm. Um, there was a couple of stories written about it, but it, it didn't really go, it didn't really go very far, but okay. it, it got, it got, it got aggressive in that, uh, uh, for a couple of hours at, in, in the last few nights in the Democratic Party headquarters. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, I think everybody has their ideas about what would work, what wouldn't work and all that. But, uh, you know, when you're actually there on the ground, it's a different story, you know, as it often is. And, um, uh, you know, I, I know, and I know you and I know that, uh, you know, y'all, you did your best and, and that's all anybody can ask for. And, uh, and, and it's also, 
very refreshing to hear, you know, somebody come on and say, listen, I could have done this better and, and have regrets about it. And, and I think that kind of speaks to who you are and, and the job that you've done. And, um, I, you know, listen, I wish you well in your congressional race, uh, for the new seat. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, just let me, you know, let us know what we can do to help with that campaign. And, uh, we'll be happy to run your ads and we'll send you the ad sheet, uh, for us. And, uh, yeah. no problem Please at do. all. Please do. Yeah. Right. Uh, but listen, no, thank you so much for coming on and, yes. and spending some time with us and breaking some stuff down and helping people better understand it. There's nobody better at that than you are. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. And I want to make sure everybody understands um, that when this redistricting process, the, the Voting Rights Act doesn't talk about opportunity. It doesn't talk about fairness. It talks about making sure that um, black folks can elect a candidate of choice. So. I want everybody to be careful when they see these maps and to see the people talking about what they should look like. That, um, you know, if we're talking about fair maps, who are we talking about being fair to? If we're talking about creating opportunity, opportunity for who? And make sure that this spec, make sure this whole process is viewed through the process of the, uh, uh, or the paradigm of the Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and what the purpose of it is. So, um, and that's, for me, that's what I'm going to be focused on. And I and I'm I'm just excited as anybody else across the state to see what these maps look like when we get finished. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. That is uh, it is Chris England. Uh, it's uh, brought to you by Chris England 2024. And uh, we will uh, we'll be back in uh, just a few minutes. Alabama politics this week. Back in a second. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Our uh, thanks to uh, Chris England for coming on with us and uh, spending some time. Uh, it's uh, always nice to have him. That guy is uh, super smart and uh, it's always, nice, always nice to talk to, to smart people and, uh, and learn a little bit. He is. And I, I don't know what his, his future plans are. I know he's got a law practice and, and so forth, but I, I hope that he plans to be to continue to be engaged in Alabama politics for a long time, whatever that yeah. means. Yeah, you know. yeah, I do as well. I do as well. Um, yeah. uh, speaking of being engaged in Alabama politics, uh, we're not going to be for the next uh, few weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is our uh, this is our getaway show, as the uh, as they say in the world of baseball. We're uh, we're getting away uh, for a few weeks. We normally take a break around this time in the summer, and we're going to do so again this year. Um, uh, but we we'll be back uh, mid July and uh, and get some more shows going then. We'll take a you know few weeks off and uh, just uh, we're gonna gotta, gotta travel with the family and uh, and Dave's gonna you know I'm sure probably you know produce another award winning podcast and uh, <laughs> uh, with some celebrities. Uh, I don't know who this year. I mean maybe yeah, like Jay Z so. and Beyonce or somebody. And, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can meet from them your lips and, to God's ears, man. Uh, yeah, so, but we will. We shall return. This is uh, this is not uh, this is not goodbye. We're just uh, taking a little break like normal. I think people have become to trust that we're going to bounce back in here, and so yeah. we 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 shall do 
so. Um, you know, let's uh, uh, real quickly, and I, mm-hmm. we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this because I know we want to get to our right wing nut and talk about the Supreme Court and stuff. But uh, there, there are two things I wanted to talk about: one, one positive, one negative, and we'll we'll start with the positive. Um, Auburn University selected its first black president of the Board of Trustees. I wrote a story, a long story about him because he is a very, very good friend of mine, uh, Quentin Riggins. Uh, I love Quentin Riggins. He is one of my favorite people that I've ever met. He is a super nice guy, uh, one hell of a hardworking guy. He grew up, his mom was a secretary at Tuskegee University. His dad worked at Tuskegee University as well. Um, he, he told me stories about his mom. His mom went to get her graduate degree. Uh, while she was working at Tuskegee, she went to get her graduate degree at the University of Alabama. She would drive two days a week. She mm. would drive down uh, 80 and uh, up to Tuscaloosa uh, uh, um, and get that work, worker classes. Sometimes she would have to stay over on the weekends and wouldn't be around for the for the boys. And uh, and but she got it and and it taught him lessons and uh, things. Quentin uh, will, will tell you immediately that he is. I'm not the smartest guy in the room ever. Uh, he's like, you know, I just I just work. I just want to work. I have goals and I want to set them. And, and that's the way he's always been, man. And uh, he is, uh, I wish everybody uh, would have the pleasure of knowing Quentin Riggins, because if you did, you, you know, he's just a, he's just a good dude who just wants to do good things and, and help people. And uh, that he was Auburn's first black president of the board is just absolutely perfect. He loves the school. Uh, the people of the school love him. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't, if you asked me to handpick somebody, that would have been the guy I would have handpicked. He is everything that a university, uh, should put on their poster. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, I barely made it out of school. I wasn't a great, you know, I wasn't a great, the greatest player. I was undersized. Uh, he worked his tail off, you know, to get his degree, uh, to become an all SEC player for a couple of years under Pat Dye, uh, to get to move into the business world and in and, and the political world and, and move up the ladder to get to where he is and then to give back to Auburn and, and do this. It's it's a really great story for a guy. And, and I just I wish him the best and, and congrats to Auburn. It makes me really happy to be an Auburn guy, uh, you know, that they've done this with this this person. So. Congrats to, to Quinn. Yeah, congrats to him. Um, his, um, <coughs> pardon me, I'm sorry. His um, his resume is impressive. His uh, his accomplishments are impressive. Um, I'm I'm glad to see this happen again because it it's um, I know I know a lot of times people uh, get tired of hearing. Folks like me talk about optics and symbolism, but this sort of thing does matter. I think it it sends a uh, a good message out there. I I do have to say though that it it's a little painful to hear in 2023 that he's the first black president. Yeah, uh, and that's not a reflection on him. Right. Uh, it's a reflection on. You know the 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 status of education in the state of Alabama. I mean, it shouldn't be. You know, I'm thinking about, and I know this is not exactly apples to apples, but I'm thinking about uh, uh, a, an organization that I've watched for several decades now, the uh, Huntsville Madison County Chamber of Commerce. I want to say they had their first black chair, probably. 
almost 30 years ago, maybe 25 mm-hmm. years ago, um, they had their birth, first black female chair uh, probably four, three to four years ago, something like that. They've had, I know, at least one uh, Hispanic chair uh, in, during that time period as well. So, you know, when I look at institutions, and, in, in, you know, and that is a measure, to me, diversity is a measure of progress. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it just, it's a little disheartening to think, wow, it's taken that long? <laughs> yeah, I, well, no, I, it, I think that's true. I, I would say, you know, too, I think it's a reflection on the state as a whole uh, mm-hmm. and, and and the opportunities for in businesses around the state, you know, because let's, let's be honest, that's where a lot of your trustees come from. You know, you'll mm-hmm. get some. Yes, you'll have some academics and things like that to get on there. But for the most part, trustee boards are made up of successful business people. Uh, folks that run businesses and corporations that donate to the school, that, get, that give back, that are engaged with the university. Um, and that's where a lot of your business folks or a lot of your uh, trustees come from is from the business world. And I think it's a reflection on the opportunities afforded uh, to black folks in this state um, that you don't necessarily have a lot of people who fit into the mold of what would be a trustee because they have not reached the pinnacles or they've not had the openings. Uh, that, that are available to them in, in some of the, these businesses around the state. I think that is changing. I, you know, I'd like to, uh, like to say, you know, Regions Bank, uh, for example, um, has done, I think, a, a really good job uh, in, in diversity hiring over the course of the last several years. And I think that that's going to change some things. I think the Business Council of Alabama, now being led by a black woman, uh, will mm-hmm. open some things up as well. And, and so hopefully those opportunities will start to become more and more. And, and, and then likewise, you'll have a bunch more opportunities uh, for folks to land at, in positions on trustee boards around the state and to do exactly what you're talking about and send a signal out to people that we are changing, that we are, uh, we are, there are more opportunities for folks out there, but, you know. And I think you make an excellent point. There has to be a sort of a, a pipeline of people, mm-hmm. you know, for them to tap. But I guess, I guess what I'm really saying, Josh, is in Huntsville and maybe, and maybe that's, Part of the problem, at least from my perspective, because I, I know Huntsville, right? And in Huntsville, there's been no shortage of yeah. high caliber business leaders who are black, or or even Asian or or Hispanic. There's been no shortage of them. So it just again for me, it's hard to really make sense of the fact that, you know. And I mean, I'm glad it's happened, but. Man, why did it take so long? It just doesn't make sense. Maybe this will uh, will open some eyes to that, and they'll be mm-hmm. able to, to to move it along. But uh, not no more deserving guy than than uh, Q. So yeah, uh, congrats yeah, to yeah. Him. Uh, yeah. Congratulations um, to him. We're, yeah. we're going to have him on the show, I guess, at some point, right? We can absolutely. Yeah, we can yeah. absolutely have Quentin Riggins on. Yeah, we'll. Uh, I'd love to get him on and, and talk to him about the, the university and about his life and and uh, Auburn football and the whole deal. It's. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have him on. Um, uh, real quickly, uh, before we get to the right wing nut, uh, the uh, Alabama Cannabis Commission. This is our negative. Uh, they had to they had to pull the basically they had to pull the applications that they granted uh, and the licenses that they granted and, and put a stay on them because there were some inconsistencies in the scoring process. Um, this has been a mess. This has been an absolute train wreck of a show from the very very beginning. Uh, it is. It it is. 
it's embarrassing to watch this unfold the way that it has unfolded and to watch these these folks struggle with just the basic ideas of of granting accepting applications which they screwed up to begin with do you know when they started this when these folks you know they, they, we were talking about mul- you know multi-million dollar businesses right. that are going to come in here and make multi-millions of dollars off of this you know medical marijuana stuff that, that we're doing well when they started this in the application process um they allowed these folks to send in 10 megabytes. That was the cap, was 10 megabyte files for their application. Now, these files would contain their schematics, uh, their spreadsheets, their projections, their, you know, I mean, it had all sorts of things. You had, you had to put the building plans up there, mm-hmm. and they gave them 10 megabytes. You know, that was the, that nothing, was the cap. Right? It's it's insane. I mean, Texas, for example, has a 500 megabyte right. cap, you know, so, uh, but... Uh, and so then, then they went back and they told some people, no, listen, just put it on a thumb drive and bring it in. It'll be fine. And some people they told me you, you can print it off and bring it in. And some people they didn't tell anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so the whole thing was screwed up from the beginning, and and then it just snowballed from there. And a lot of people have no idea how some people were scored and others weren't. And and it just now they pulled the license. And you know you've got people relying on this stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You've got folks that are out there that are hurting that that need this this drug uh, that's going to treat some of their problems. And what are we doing? We're just goofing around, is what it sounds like. And and I'm glad you put the uh, emphasis on the people who need um, <clears throat> who need the drug because that's often lost sight. I think because of the stigma that has hovered over marijuana for so many decades. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at a point now where we understand. I was just having this conversation in in a slightly joking way with somebody yesterday, uh but still serious. I truly believe this is David Person, not who whatever institution or organization you might associate me with. I truly believe that marijuana is one of God's gifts to human beings. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's always been used in the best way, but I do believe that <clears throat> that there that there is a medicinal value that this plant has, mm-hmm. and that um, and that when 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 it's put to the right use, it can truly help people who, <clears throat> especially, are dealing with you know chronic problems like cancer and glaucoma. And other things. So, um, I, you know, I, I think you're right, Josh. Uh, we e- even beyond the the millions and millions of dollars that can be made, and and all of that, you know, and and that's fine. I'm not against that, but but the real focus with this marijuana discussion, medical marijuana discussion, has to be the people who are going to benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do not disagree with anything you've just said, and um, uh, you know, I only and really I only brought up the fact that we're talking about uh, the millions and millions of dollars here in in uh, the context of these folks are going to have to su- uh, submit these detailed plans, mm-hmm. and you've limited them to ten megabytes. That's all I was yeah, yeah. saying about that. But yeah, yeah but all right. Uh, speaking of millions and millions of dollars, uh, we found another Supreme U.S. Supreme Court uh, justice that. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable, man. And and uh, Samuel Alito is our right wing nut of the week, yeah. yeah for his uh, his ties to another hedge fund uh, guy that is uh, handing out trips and taking them on luxury vacations, and uh, and and he wrote uh, this uh, basically a 
a pre-attack of, of the story that was going to come out from ProPublica uh, that uh, and he read, the Wall Street Journal, of course, just let him do it uh, and and talked about uh, you know this gave his excuses for the reason why he didn't uh, report this uh, fishing trip that he took with a billionaire Paul Singer. Um, and went to, went to Alaska, I believe, on a fishing yeah, trip. Yeah, Alaska fishing and, trip. Yeah. Um, and yeah, drew, uh, yeah, took a ride on his private jet to get up there. And uh, you know, one of the excuses was, I mean, uh, one of the excuses was, well, the plane was going anyway, and the seat <laughs> would have been empty, so there's no value in that. I mean, what are you talking about? What are you, this is you're you're the a U.S. Supreme Court justice. You know what do you what do you mean? Shut that's up right. with this. That, that's just he sounds oh. like a child, really, uh, <sighs> saying that the 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 value to him was the moment he planted his behind in that seat. <laughs> yes, when you didn't have to pay for the ticket to go, <laughs> that was the value. What do you mean? And, and who knows? And then you I, have, he's had cases before the court. Right. Stop it. And I'm assuming that not only was it the, the, the value in, in the trip, but I'm assuming he didn't pay any expenses, you know, that he, he didn't pay any hotel expenses, meals were covered, entertainment, whatever that was. So it's just yeah. it's just ludicrous. It's laughable that he would even try to advance that. As well, he paid thing. for them. He was just in the writings of his opinions, right. probably. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's uh, there was a payment. Uh, listen, it... Uh, we have, uh, this has long been, uh, you know, something that's stuck in my craw. And it is the, the way that we have looked the other way for, uh, for judges and justices uh, at every level, and especially at the state level. Uh, you know, cozying up to people uh, and accepting money from people who have business before the court. Um, and it happens all the time in Alabama at every single level. There are fundraisers that are thrown by law firms for judges uh, in the election cycle. And, you know, you can't tell me that that doesn't have an impact. Sure. You cannot tell me because if it didn't, they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. It's, OK. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, yeah. No, you're 80 percent right. Now we've got to we've got to change this. Uh, you know whether we come up with the same way that we I've talked about doing reapportionment and come up with a committee that gets together that judges uh, people on their worthiness to hold these jobs. Uh, you know and do it by a fair uh, selection process that that uh, is clearly outlined and that you can then. Uh, you know, point to something and say, this is why this guy, you know, deserves to be in this position, uh, whatever. But, you know, it, it is leaving it the way we've done it now and especially requiring judges to go through elections is it's nonsense. It leads to all sorts of problems. Uh, and then even the confirmation process that we currently are going through right now, we've got to change this. We've got to change it in a way that that makes it so these folks are not so compromised. Mm -hmm. And and even if they are compromised, we have a backup somewhere uh, that whether it's expanding the court or, or whatever, we've got we need to make it to where this is not a lifetime appointment and that people go on and off. And we have a we have a good solid mix of Republicans and Democrats. And um, and I think that's about the only way we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And people are going to have to get outraged. And I think that is slowly happening as as we've gone from Thomas to Roberts and now Alito, yeah. all compromised in some fashion, 
hopefully that'll lead to the kind of outrage that'll lead to legislation and permanent change. We can only hope. But I'll tell you what this is going to lead to. It's going to lead to us going on vacation. Uh, uh, so, uh, hey, listen, we'll be back. Don't worry about that. Give us a couple of weeks. We'll be, we'll be back in here. Yeah. Uh, David, I hope you enjoy yourself and have a have a fine time in whatever too, it is brother. and what, whoever other podcast you're doing. Uh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, until, until we're back, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Peace.